Good morning to you. Welcome to God's house, and that's more steel guitar than a Quaker's heard in the last 20 years in church. (laughs) We are accused of silence, but I was attempting to make a point with that word that probably just, I know it uniquely blessed you, didn't it? Oikonomia. I ask you one question, I'll have one answer, and I'll take about 19 minutes between the two. Then I think we're going to pray at the end. Not in a way that I'd ever heard of prayer in my life. I'll tell you what Dr. Peter Burkhart, an esteemed sociologist and Christian, how it took us a couple months to figure out how a people group prayed with me in the Amazon jungle of Guyana. Surprised me and he, and then we figured it out. But the title of the message, I think it's behind me. I'm not going to look back. I'm going to believe in leadership. Make yourself at home. Make yourself at home. I love dry humor, and I was mentioning to Dr. Hunt, as long as you see humor in yourself, you'll never run out of material. (laughs) If you find humor in other people, it's a limited subject. I mean, I have an identical twin brother. I found a lot of humor in him, but he didn't find it in me when I did that. Uh, I loved uh, having a womb mate, as I call him, my twin, and he's a wonderful fellow, lives in Charleston with his wife and two children. But the title is Make Yourself at Home. I used to razz the farmers in a country church that I oversaw for a patch. You can sleep in church if you want, but just no snoring. (laughs) During harvest, it's brutal in Indiana, and you know how it is. You work till you're done. You don't keep hours. So we we love the humor and all of that, but sometimes it was actually true, and it didn't bother me. The point of the message, most messages should have a point. You know, We don't want to fly that plane around forever. It does need to land. (laughs) It's all right. You can laugh. Sometimes they don't. Most should. But if they don't, well, then we want to pull them out of the air and place them somewhere. Maybe like in a spot where they put boneyard planes. But There's boneyard sermons too, but we don't talk about those all the time. God has designed and appointed and equipped each one of you uniquely for his gifting in your life. I'm going to have some tension, but it's not between you and myself. It's between a scripture that I think is taken out of context so often in our lives. Christ said early on in his ministry, many things. But in the prayer that we have called the high priestly prayer, not up here and we'll find it in a minute. He said, praying to his father in the garden, been to that garden in Gethsemane. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. The positive tension for our time together today is that we are of another world because of the Spirit of God that lives in us, yet we live here on this earth. And between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man, we reside and work out our life and our faith journey. So often people pull that tension back down to where we are today, Hancock County, Have you ever heard of it said, they're so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. Billy Graham had a powerful message on this topic and it was meaningful and he wonderful in his giftedness and leading people to Christ about how we should focus on the other kingdom. But for a second, I want to bring you to where we live in Hancock County and talk about making ourselves at home because God has appointed us to live here, serve him and grow the kingdom of God where we live. We might be imbalanced as a whole body. And I'm striking the positive tension if we could. 
Make yourself at home. My topic will probably be along the line of steps toward a new perspective. I don't think the pulpit is a place to have massive shifts because that's just not fair. The classroom, quite possibly. Education, well, then it's your job to keep up with the syllabus. But in the pulpit, I think we look for spiritual micro shifts. What are the small changes in our life by the Holy Spirit that could have an enormous impact elsewhere? I'm only looking for a prayerful micro shift in all of our perspectives today about making ourselves at home in Hancock County steps toward a new perspective. I think of Marcel Proust. Not very well known in his day. His brother was the one that was well known. But his writings have become legendary. The real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. When we think about new and change and positive and we... I think they're macro shifts. They're so big we can't even tolerate them. We have 168 hours in the week and you want to throw in 12 more huge shifts? We can't absorb those. But I believe as a faith people and body and church, we can absorb a shift this size that could have an impactful difference in the life of our congregation. So here we go. Those small shifts in our perspective will move to the slide on what churches tend to do in their first 25, 50, and 75 years on a cyclic pattern. And I think we'll have the one that talks about typical postures of the church versus biblical responses. I think we're getting there. If not, there we go. These are some things that churches do. And if you want to write them down, great. If you don't, there's notes back there. FDA. These are the things that churches find themselves doing because of the culture that they live in. And I'll highlight them. They fortify themselves behind their walls. So often you hear behind the four walls. Well, churches have more than four walls. But you understand what I'm saying. We are behind the wall in an attempt to hide from our culture. Why? Well, the culture's evil. I'm just saying that in a hyperbole, by the way. Next, we seek to dominate. We seek to dominate our culture. 27,000 people in Greenfield, 76,000 people at the next census. Maybe it will be up to 80,000. 92 counties in Indiana, third fastest growing county, Hancock. What a wonderful place to be right now on the cusp of dynamic change. How can we ever dominate numerically or statistically that group of people? And then, well, dominate for a second. That's also another word for fight. The counterculture, the back and forth, the us and them. We're doing this, they're doing that. It's almost a mindset that doesn't prosper anyone, but we, the church, find ourselves involved in that. I myself am not a sign carrier. I mean, I'm not a protester. I've never been big at protesting anything at all. I live my faith. I know we all get ballots every few years, right? And that's I'm not going to talk about that here. But we also are gifted with feet and we can vote with them and just walk away. Some people love to make noise and this is what happens in the dominate mindset. We do fight the culture that God has given us to serve and lead to Christ. And then we move into the third phase of what happens so often. We accommodate. Now, John's mentioned salt. And I wrote down a question in my notes earlier. When we accommodate, we are blenders, which is what I try to do when I sing become a blender. 
You just blend in. You don't know what part you're in. You're bouncing through the whole thing and you go home knowing it was fantastic, right? No, I was belting out an old course the other day, 18 miles south of here at a dead end between two counties. I was giving it all seven lobes of my lungs, folks. Two lungs, seven lobes, belting that thing out. I'm only with corn and beans. No, no. I mean, it wasn't even pretty. And then all of a sudden I heard a, I wanted to, wanted to crawl under the corn. And this fellow was walking with his wife. He goes, oh, that's fantastic. I'm like, you weren't supposed to be here. <laughs> he said, we hear you down there. I live alone. You know, it's okay. But I don't answer my question. But anyway, I was singing like that. And I was going all over the place, just blending in with that famous chorus I love so much. And we do that in the church. We blend. Why not? Right? If you can't dominate them, which we're never going to statistically. Jesus ran with 12 disciples. John had a group of disciples. He ran with 70 disciples. And at the ascension in the upper room, there were 120. We're never going to statistically dominate. And we're never going to fortify ourselves enough to reach the message beyond the wall that we can build up. So why don't we naturally just blend so much that no one knows we're here at all and we're in a culture and you can't tell the difference between Christendom and the culture that we live in. And these are the phases of a church often without knowing it. I don't think anyone would voluntarily sign up to do any of these at all. But my question, what is our salvation for? One, for your soul's goodness, but that wasn't my answer. Please know God and let him know you and grow in that. But what is your salvation for? Now, let's look for a different path. I'm going to go back to fortification. If we're not going to hide, what are we going to do? I tried to hide a lot in my life. It's hard. You know, you're an identical twin, so you dress alike. Don't want to dress alike. Want to be my own person. Don't want to be pulled up front. A lot of things caused my life to not be nearly as quiet as I wanted it to be. I am that quiet person. I like, I'm bookish, but I love people. I didn't get a chance to hide behind even the walls that I put up in my life. And I don't think the church gets the good fortune of hiding behind the walls, the beautiful ones that God gives it. What's the option? We're designed to serve people. If you want to bypass the hiding behind the four walls, God's design around this is kind of more of a teaching lesson today. Designed to serve. We'll go to Peter 1.1. Whether it's on that or not, I'll leave you my full manuscript if you want to read it. Might snooze through it even. Peter 1 1, 1 Peter 1 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus. So let's, let's do a timeout on apostle. What is an apostle? You should know. He's writing it to us. There's some authority there. An apostle, three things. Present for the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. There at the Last Supper with the great covenants and commitments known to Christ, present at the ascension. I mean, this is the real club of Christianity. So Peter, a thrice-known apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion to Pontus and Galatia, we're not just exiles in our culture. We are elect. What does that mean? 
We're called to be where we are. We're called to be in Hancock County. We're called to be blessed in this county. We're not called to hide behind walls or hide behind ideology or theology or anything. We are called to be that people. And if we're not going to hide behind the walls, then what's it mean to fortify? I think in some ways it's a great omission. We are hiding behind the wall of a thought pattern or a theology or an ideology, and it creates an omission and we're not present with our people. Now from domination, the next one, if we're not going to dominate, what's the biblical option around trying to dominate a culture? I mean, I've been in churches that grew. Matter of fact, by God's design and not mine, I'm just a water boy for the Lord answering his call. But every church I have served has had statistical hyper success. And I remember a congregation going from 1187 on February 3rd of 1996. That's just how I think. 1187, February 3rd of 1996 to over 3,500 four years and one Sunday from that day. Two building projects. Five services. I made the humorism that, you know, there was an energy problem in the Seattle community. It was mine. We couldn't afford any more services on the weekend. I had three and the other gentleman had two and Growth is a problem, and I hope you have it soon. I hope you have it in such such an oikonomia, economy of God, that you have the blessing of knowing what to do with two worship teams and what to do with the parking and how to exit them this way. Start thinking that way. Don't think in fortify. Think in God has called you to serve and God has called you to bless. So I'm a teaching pastor. I want to talk about the five aspects of the blessing for you. We gloss over that word a lot. Oh, we, we say it like it's hallmark, but it's biblical. The, God bless you, and I know we mean that. The five aspects of this are, and I'll reduce them as I say them, meaningful connection. Every time in the scriptures that you see the concept of blessing the first of the five is meaningful connection you don't bless 45 zip codes away in the new testament when jesus blessed the children he put his hand on them a rabbi and a teacher would never think of blessing someone at 10 miles an hour on the back of his donkey he connected with that child so meaningful connection spoken word we can bless in silence and you think, well, when this is over, we'll be blessed by the silence of the message. I know, I know, we're getting there. Meaningful connection, spoken word, words of high value. The words we use must attach high value to the person that we're blessing. If we're blessing them, it will be impactful for everybody. This is something that I think if you get this micro shift today, if only one of you picks up on this fourth micro shift, epic in your life, epic in your life, depict a special future for those you're blessing. Yeah, that's powerful. I had a friend like that named Chad. I talked to Dr. Hunt about that through medical school and everything, and I met him on a dock once when it was a tough patch in his life. Told him I thought he had a bright future. Skip the raise at work and don't let him fool you. I spoke at his commencement from medical school. 
going from a doc to a doctor that long in his life. I was supposed to address the question of how the entire medical school would benefit if they understand the Jewish concept of the blessing in the Bible at his commencement. He said, Marcus was the only person that blessed me. Cigarette in his mouth the whole time I talked to him. I said, don't apologize for that. Just don't stay here. God has a brilliant plan for your life. You're the sharpest person in this firm. Don't tell anyone in the front office I said that. They're my friends. Get out of here. BA, master's, medical school, two practices, glorious wife, wonderful kiddos. Depict a special future for the people you're trying to bless. For the church you're trying to bless too. And lastly, all four of those are of no value at all unless you are willing to be actively committed to the person that you're blessing. Meaningful connection, spoken word, words of high value, depicting a special future, an active commitment, trade secret here. In my life, everywhere I have served, I have asked God Almighty to help me be a practitioner of the blessing. One of my spiritual trade secrets in my toolbox is to practice those five concepts on the church no matter where I go, no matter what the ideology or theology, that it is biblical, firstly. Outside of that, the blessing will prosper every church that practices out those biblical concepts. You won't have enough places for the people. Just one thought on the fourth part there. Do you know how many people in Hancock County need to know that they have a wonderful future in God's economy? A lot. A whole lot. Now, how do we get around blending? Not just me singing on a country road because you would want me to blend there. I think we're equipped to love. That's how we get around blending. It's easy to blend. Who doesn't want to blend? Who wants to be called out on the golf course as the pastor after everyone has shared why they didn't hit the hole and what happened when they didn't? Oh, and the pastor's here. Thank you so much for throwing me under the bus. I'm just somebody out here, a struggler like you. I'm not a pastor today. You want to blend when that happens because then you everyone comes up and says, well, where they serve as a deacon, where they served previously in their life, and what all their grandparents did for the kingdom of God. It's like, I'm not a moral policeman. Just keep golfing. <laughs> There's days you want to blend. God has called us to love people. When you think about the equipping to love, I'm going to go to Jeremiah. And it's in the original text there, being equipped to love. It says here in Jeremiah 29, which is in the bulletin there, as far as how we're supposed to do this, Build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat them and produce. And this is singular, but it says plural here. Take wives. That's for a group. That's not an individual. And have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Oh, you know, this is so close to that hallmark verse that everybody loves to quote to you. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to give you a future and a hope. I'm not saying it's not biblical. We make it hallmarky. God has said that we should not decrease in our culture. Wherever He has planted us, we should grow. There should be no obstacle to the growth of the kingdom of God in our lives. And then, 
but seek the welfare of the city where you have been sent into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. And now this is a gripper. This is one of the gripper verses in Jeremiah right here. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. We're way, way away from that mindset that says we are so heavenly minded. We're of no earthly good now. That's a bias. If Hancock County does not prosper, you will not either. So how do we love? We're equipped to love. Colossians says here, and this is a Colossians, I became a minister according to the stewardship, oikonomia, from God that was given to me. Now let's talk about love for a minute. I'm not here to exhaust the theme of love today. This is not the topic today. This is the wrap up on the love part of this and wherever we are on that, this is the blending part. I think we have a quote back there on love. And it's a good one. And I want you to find the, the fortify, dominate, and accommodate in this quote on love as I read it to you. When it pops up, I think we'll get it. Our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. And the second is that to love someone means that you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise conviction to be compassionate. We need another definition of love if we're going to fit into God's economy so that we don't fortify, dominate, or accommodate and we become the people of God in the community that God has planted us in. Can you see in this right there on that one, the second is that we, you, someone means that you agree with everything that they believe in or do. That's pretty much the blender, isn't it? And the earlier part was where you see where churches or people who love fortify and dominate. Now our God-ordained conclusion to today's message might be, what is the purpose of our salvation? I'll tell you what it's not for. Have you ever defined something by what it's not? I used to say that. I am Marcus, not Michael. That's my twin brother. <laughs> he did it. Most of the time I was accurate. <clears throat> there are some times that I blended on that one. I blended with the rest of my three brothers to be the four Dennis boys. But, but, but this is what it's not. Our salvation is not to benefit us solely. It's not fire insurance for the other side. That is not the type of salvation that God has called us to. Our salvation is not to cause us to gather on Sunday, but yet I hope you're in church. And if you're not, God richly bless you. The purpose of our salvation is not for membership. And I'm not slighting membership, by the way. It's been mentioned in a positive way today. It's not just to belong to something. The purpose of our salvation is not to fortify, dominate, and accommodate, then the answer is our salvation is for the world. 
that God has planted us in. Yeah. I was saved at eight. You know, I make that humorism. I grew up with a drug problem. My parents drugged me to church and I'm still going. It's my humorism. Vacation Bible School, church, and all the rest, you know, half my life was in church growing up, and I loved it. And then I hear people that had 10% of the attendance that I was forced to have say that God was shoved down their throat. Okay, I'm still here, and I love it. Our salvation is for the life of the world. That's right. We're the salt of the earth. (laughs) What do you do with salt that isn't salty anymore? What do you do with churches that are too churchy and not Christ-like? What do you do with the church that's so fortified that you couldn't pull them out from behind the walls with a John Deere 9300? Little humorism for Indiana. Twin turbo diesel. You couldn't get them out. What do you do with that? What do you do with the one that dominates the placard carrying the loud? It's right by repetition. It's right by domination. It's right because of volume. I'll lower my voice. What do you do with the church that accommodates everything? You can't. Christ said, woe unto you when all men speak well of you. Let them not like your position, but not your person. Again, let them not like your position, not your person. Our salvation is for the sake of the world. So the title, it brings us back. So make yourself at home. Make yourself at home in Hancock County. Now I'm going to contextualize this passage and then I'm going to tell you a story and we're going to end the day. I've taken the very last part of Jeremiah for your context in the spirit of the verse. What does it mean? It means this, regardless. This is Jeremiah 29.7 contextualized for Brown's Chapel because of the wonderful coffee I had this morning when I came through. This is just a bonus. Regardless, search and find the welfare of 46140. Regardless of what you've experienced or where you've come from or what brings you here or how you're feeling today or what your thoughts are or are not, regardless of that, search and find the welfare of 46140 where you live as exalted exiles. Pray to God that it prospers. For in Hancock County's betterment, you will find your own welfare. You're going to go a long time before you hear a clergyman say that. But that's the gospel and we can risk being the church of Jesus Christ in Hancock County. We can risk it I remember 30 years ago, plus I was in Guyana in the jungle, the deepest jungle in the world. And I had driven 100 kilometers, 62 miles. I had walked 50 kilometers. For some reason, the British used to own that part of the world. And they're in kilometers, which is 31 miles in. I would be there for weeks under a lantern, studying 110 churches and pastors. They would bike by and we would interview and we would talk and we're having a good time. The last village I was in didn't have any beautiful lights like these. They had Coleman lanterns and something that felt like a bat. 
just ricocheted off that thing and went down the back of my shirt for some gaposis reason, right? Gap back there. Crawled around the last three minutes of the message. I was thinking, I'm going to need to see a veterinarian or a doctor when this is over. Boy, I wanted to end that thing. on. It's hard to scrub and scratch while you're trying to close, but, you know, double dipping and the, it didn't work. Didn't hurt me. But then from that, I, I was dropped off on the, after the longest highway. I walked in. Now, in the 31 miles, I'd see the villagers and they would walk and um, kids would pinch me. I was fit. You know, I was running 100 miles a week then and hiking a lot and enjoying everything but coconut water. Whew. Natives would take that cutlass and poof, top the thing of it off. and uh, I could handle the water, but the coconut meat was just tough on me. It's not like you buy in Kroger. You, you Google it. My doctor said the only way you're going to make it down there is on that coconut water and milk, so we took that in for potassium, you know. They pinched me, and finally I got to the end, and a day later I said to the chief, the village elders, and why do they pinch me? They want to know if the white's going to come off. <laughs> Sense to me, all right. It's still... That's at the phrase, I'm like, okay, they love me. At least they can pinch me like crazy. I stayed for a while. I found out the whole village was owned by one man named Mr. Ragonandan. He owned the whole village. This city had cropped up in the middle of the Amazon because of his prosperity. He owned the only generator in town, and boy, did I love him. Big old six-cylinder from England called a Leland, and it just it needed the top end redone, but it worked for me. The lifters knocked, and I loved that noise at night. I could climb out from underneath my mosquito net, get that other thing out, shut the lanterns off. I'm like, oh, that is the best tapping of the top end of a six-cylinder I've ever heard in my life. We have power in about ten minutes. Yay, water! They invite me to dinner, and these things larger than wharf rats. Never seen a wharf rat. I lived in the water. We just didn't have wharf rats. They climb on the house, and you know, I'd wake up and think, God, if I have anything valuable, please, I pray they're not chewing on it because I can't take them all on. <laughs> Had a great time there. I got to know Mr. Raganana because he owned the village. He, literally, he owned the street. That uh, before he met God, uh, wherever there's sugar cane, there's a byproduct, right? The byproduct of the blessing is you will prosper. You try it. By the book by Trenton Smalley, the blessing, put it into practice. You will prosper. Wherever there's sugar cane, there's rum. And he had had too much. And he struck and killed a young girl. And he drove all the way home with her and did not know that she was there. And he served his time in prison and paid his debts to society financially and otherwise. And to get away from the whole world, Mr. Raghunandan moved 31 miles into the Amazon jungle and built an entire city, invited guests and people to come to it. He liked me, he said. He, he named an animal after me. I don't know how the animal's doing, but he named an animal after me. That's big deal, south of Texas. That's a big deal. We had a lot of humor. He said his wife loved the Lord, his kids, but he didn't want anything to do with God. But boy, we got along wonderfully. Lots of laughs. And I had a service. And it was the very last night I was going to be in the jungle and I was hiking out if I made it. Offered me a bike ride. I didn't think I could walk faster. But I said, I'll just hike, you know. I remember Mr. Raghunandan 
uh, he owned the church. He owned the church. He owned every physical structure in the community. He built it. It was beautiful. He moved to this town to fortify himself behind the walls of his shame. To dominate the community so that they would, could love him because after all, he owned everything in it. And then he wanted to lastly blend in that for the rest of his life and that's all he wanted to do. I looked down the very last crusade. All the towns around came in to see the, they call me White Chicken. <laughs> My nickname in Guyana was White Chicken because I could run fast and I was of the color I was born with. The, the village chiefs just loved me. White Chicken, they would say. They would laugh. I laughed with them, right? not laugh. But then I looked down and there was a barefooted man and I was done praying and we were going to have an altar call. And everybody came forward. And Mr. Raghunandan, he ran from across the street. He listened to the crusade every night upstairs at his house. And he ran down and I asked him what he wanted. And he said, I want to take God off my shoulder and put him in my heart. I'd never heard of that. And we prayed that prayer right there for Mr. Raghunandan. And then I had dinner with him, and he hugged me. He named a cow after me, a small cow, a calf or something like that. Oh, yay. I got beef in South America. But I asked him what happened. What happened? What drew you in after years of your life? He said, the love of God. What will draw people to Brown's Chapel? The love of God. The love of God will do that. I landed back. I came home. I made it. I talked to Dr. Peter Burkhardt, a dear friend of mine, and I explained to him everything that happened in Central America. And I said, Pete, i got to ask you a question. You help me to not offend people because if you offend them, I can't love on them. If I offend them, I can't work with them. If, I, if they find me intolerable, they're not going to listen to me. Something happened in, it, down there. And I called my college buddy and he gave it a name, Beta G. And I said, what is that? He said, it's a very unique movement in the church in our culture, when the entire people of God, as God's people, come forward to God and ask for God's blessing on their body as an entire people. Never heard of it. That's what brought Mr. Ragunanda into faith. The people of God coming to God as one person. And the village isn't the same still, and that's not the purpose of my message. But I think we're going to have... Uh, music, and I know we are a closing song, and we're getting there. I want to ask you, as they're coming forward to sing, would you, where you are today in the life of Brown's Chapel, think about that movement of God as a whole people, forward to God as one, to ask God's blessing on your life, all five aspects on the entire church, as you're on the edge of a wonderful day, good decisions, bright outcomes, that you be the people of God in 46140. What is the purpose of our salvation? For the life of the world in Hancock County. And if you would, nobody come alone. Everybody, please come forward unless you have mobility challenges or you can't. And we as a people, John, you will lead us in that prayer. God bless you in that. But this is our movement of God toward God as the people of God for the life of the world.